a big thank you to all my patrons who support the Engineer Mind podcast. Hi and welcome to the Engineer Mind podcast episode 71. I'm your host Yusuf and for this episode of the podcast I'm very excited to welcome Lukas Kaczmarczyk to my show. Lukas is a senior lecturer at Glasgow University James Watt School of Engineering. He graduated with civil engineering degree specializing in computational mechanics from Krakow University of Technology. His doctoral studies were undertaken at the same institution which he defended with distinction in 2006. His PhD thesis was entitled Numerical Analysis of Multiscale Problems in Mechanics of Heterogeneous Materials. For the last decade, he is working on fracture nuclear graphite supported by EDF energy. He developed theory, numerical methods and robust research software MoFem for 3D crack propagation. In this podcast, we talked about developing and validating FEA code, open source versus commercial code, FEM for crack propagation, pros and cons of meshless methods, the research software MoFem and much more. If you are an inquisitive scientist and thinker and would love to learn more about upcoming projects, connect with like-minded peers and attend live reading group sessions from experts in the industry and academia, register for free at community.sci-circle.com. To join my weekly newsletter, engineeredmind.sh, with more than 1500 readers coming out every Sunday, where I share weekly science insights, visit yusef.substack.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's my podcast with Lukas Kaczmarczyk. Hey Lukas, welcome to my show. Hello. Nice to meet you. Very excited to have an FEA expert on my show today, and we will talk about software development for the finite element analysis today. But before we jump into the to the hard stuff, into the core of the finite element method, can you give us like a one or two minute crisp bio? Who is Lukas and uh, what are you actually doing? Okay, I, I work in the Glasgow University in GCAC. This is Glasgow um, um, Computational Engineering Center. And for about 10 years, I developed code, uh, which is used by uh, EDF and Jacobs to propagate cracks in the graphite bricks. And while I was doing that, I developed MOFEM, which is the finite element code, which has a slightly much bigger um, application than the fracture. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And we'll talk about MoFEM in a few seconds. But what I always like to ask, especially experts, is uh, how they would define their own field. So if I ask you, Lukas, how would you define the finite element method? What is it in the first place? How would you define it? <clears throat> so this is the, the, the mathematical method for approximation um, so, uh, some um, physical fields, like displacement, stresses, strains, and so on. Mm-hmm. And these methods allow you to solve the partial differential equations. But of course, those partial differential equations have some physical interpretation. They can have some physical interpretation. So if they have a physical interpretation, they can solve the problems from the real world, yeah? approximate the real world problems. Mm-hmm. And if the if, if equations are correct, if your solution is correct, um, uh, that means that you can make a prediction about the future or you can learn something about the past and or learn something more about the current reality when using a finite element to simulate the experiment because you have uh, this additional information. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the finite element method is just mathematical to all the first place. I am civil engineer, but this, the the, the, the strength of the finite element method is comes that it has these strong mathematical foundations. Yeah. 
when you develop software or code for finite element method in general for the finite element method, where do you see the biggest bottlenecks? Especially, I mean, you have the equations that are set in place. Where do you see like the biggest problems when developing of FEA code? I think that nowadays you have a lots of um, books, um, resources, how to develop the code. And you have those great high level languages that you can deploy them to solve the problem, implement the from scratch finite element in relatively um, um, a small amount of time. You have, uh, and from the other hand, you have those large finite element systems when you invest some time, you can learn about them. So this is the this is not the the, 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 the the difficulty just to use the finite element method or implement it, even if by yourself. The biggest problem is with the, I think is with the interpretation of the results. And I think that, the, that to understand what, what you're really getting. Um, interpretation is somehow more important than the solution itself. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So, and then, and, this is not necessarily the easiest thing, um, uh, how I observe. Um, because first question, you get the solution, how you can trust it. Um, what are the error bones for that solution? How you can check? Yeah? This is the fundamental problems, interpretation. Mm -hmm. When you validate the FAA code, like to see if it actually gives you accurate results, is it still done in the way that you use something like a patch test to see if the FAA code actually works, or is there some more sophisticated testing behind an FAA code? It's depending what you do. Mm -hmm. For example, when you work with the plasticity, for example, there are quite old benchmark tests um, or problems which you want to reproduce. They, they are not necessarily the problems from the real world, but you want to reproduce other people's solutions. And um, for example, necking problem, when you take the, 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 the rod, um, it has some small imperfection and you apply the stretching to it and then it's subjected to large strains, it should neck at some point. Mm -hmm. okay? And then you want to capture that point and you want to capture that how it's next. So this is the benchmark. So you want to first think you want to reproduce some other people's solution that we, yeah. Um, and then of course, when you do that, you want to do it um, faster than others that to get the solution in the faster way. You want to show when you get that solution it scales better or something like that. So you you can you still has to reproduce someone else's solution, but um, it has to be the same solution, but it has to be done with the smaller computational effort. But from another hand, when you look when you because the finite, as we said, has is these strong mathematical foundations. So there are theoretical bones. For example, you know that. Uh, you know, a posterior error estimator. And then in certain conditions, you should have a certain rate of the convergence. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you can take the problem and you can try to solve it. And then you can compare this solution against something which is the analytical. That's great. And then, um, and then you, want to, you want to check if your convergence rate match this, this um, uh, theoretical convergence, this error bond. Yeah? So the rate is steep enough uh, uh, from your method. Yeah? Sometimes you can converge, 
but of course you can ask that I can, you can sometimes converge, uh, but you can converge to something, something else. Mm -hmm. And then your convergence rate can be slow, but, um, because we're talking about the mathematics, we talk about the PDEs, always somehow, if you have error estimators, um, we can, they are properly defined, you can plug in the solution and we check. We can check whether we conserve the um, linear momentum. Yeah? If you have uh, something more crazy uh, in solid mechanics, you can check if you can conserve the uh, angular momentum when you have some mixed elements and when you don't enforce the symmetry of the stress. So you can check certain things. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then you can measure the quality of it. So you have some objective ways to check if your solution is correct. Benchmark tests are okay. And typically they are associated with that to check if you have locking uh, or they are associated with the checking uh, to check if you have a stability. And then in, in fact, the, the biggest application of the benchmark tests are problems when you have a difficulties with the stability because the stability from the mathematical point of view is the hardest thing to prove. So if, if you are a civil engineer like me, I'm not always, you have this ability to prove that you satisfied in sub condition, but you can, but much easier is to run the benchmark test. So we run the benchmark test sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when you run bench benchmark tests, it's very interesting uh, to talk about the stability aspect. Uh, how do you even prove it? Maybe you can go a little bit more into detail. How do you prove it? Do you just do it the benchmark case and then you're done? Or do you have to do more sophisticated work on the stability? Uh, no. oh, okay. Benchmark text only tells you that in the certain conditions, your solution is stable. Mm -hmm. But it's not guaranteed that it's objectively stable for certain class of the problems which you want to solve with your finite element. For example, uh, it's a classical example of Taylor-Hood Taylor element uh, that it's up, you can apply it to class of the problems and it will give you a nice solution. Taylor-Hood element, this is which you can use for solve them, the problems for incompressible materials or stocks problem or uh, incompressible Navier stocks uh, problem. You have this when you approximate the pressure and displacement. But you can show uh, under certain conditions, this element is not stable. Yeah? Uh, so, so yeah, benchmark test is a useful that it's, it's test that for certain class of the problems or similar problems to, the, to your benchmark test, your element is stable and it will behave well. But benchmark test itself don't guarantee that overall element is stable. For that, you need a mathematical proof. So you have to ask for help mathematician. Ah, I see that. Um, when it comes to, to building the FEA code, like uh, you have a lot of aspects. So it has to be stable, it has to be efficient, scalable, and maybe even versatile for a lot of different aspects. Oh, but, 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 yeah, but one thing that you have to just separate two things. One is a finite element formulation. Mm -hmm. So how you formulate element, and this is there, you, you can do it on the piece of the paper. Mm -hmm. And another is, um, another thing is uh, implementation of it. Okay, and this is the another problem. And in that case, this is complete, slightly different story. 
because the benchmark test at that point is very useful thing. Yeah? Because you don't have to prove the stability of it. You want to have you want to verify if your code producing what you intended um, uh, when you start your implementation. And then so you you from very beginning, uh, this is the, the if you look at the books about them, software engineering, about the programming, very often the people advise you to write the, the code starting from a test. So you 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 have this unit test in your program mm -hmm. that each time you change something in the code over the night or automatically the tests are triggered on some development server that they are rerun constantly the 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 benchmark test, regression test, and you're expecting always the same result over and over. Yeah? So this is the validation of the implementation. It's a, it's a, it's a different story. Oh, okay, thanks for clarifying, Lukas. I appreciate it. So what the question I wanted to ask is actually when you develop FEA code and it has to be scalable, efficient, maybe even versatile to cover a, a wide variety of uh, applications, what would you say is the, the hardest part or is there even a hardest part or are all parts for developing a code the hardest? I think that before you start to develop any finite element code, you have to ask your question, why are you doing that? What is your um, user? What is your target group? Okay. And then, for example, you can say, I want to write small niche program, which is used by the uh, people doing biology and do a indentation on the cells. And this program which I write is a black box for them, but gives them the relation between the, the deformation of the cell surface and the force. Mm -hmm. So then you write that program in such a way that is well understood for you. For you, you write, of course, the comments inside of the code that. In one year, you not you, you still remember what you have done uh, because you cannot trust your memory, and you're writing that problem differently, uh, that program differently. But you can write different kind of the code. You can, from the another hand, you can write I write a code for solving Navier-Stokes equations or for plasma physics, yeah, and and then you have one physics at that case. So it's a Navier-Stokes class of the Navier-Stokes problems, or and then you you whole structure of the code is for that single physics, and then what your only biggest concern now at that point is just you want to solve your problem as efficiently as you can, and then and then you have I want to solve it as efficiently as I can on the single node computer because my potential users will use it or on the cluster or GPU, whatever. And then you're writing that code differently. And then you're asking yourself as well the questions that, that um, how you, so then that, that's define your structure of the code. Yeah. And then, um, but different thing is that if you want to solve the problem from civil engine, for civil engineering problems, this is slightly different thing. Because if you look at the uh, 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 this building, it's a messy thing. Pipes, different kinds of the walls, thermal um, uh, um, uh, uh, thermal flow through the walls, deformations, uh, 
fracture of the beams, reinforcement, lots of different things. So then you don't have any, any longer single physics. You have to write this generate the, the structure of the code that it can handle the different physics. Mm. And it can handle different elements, different things, 1D and 3D problems at the same time. So that structure of the code will be completely different than this plasma physics code or, or Navier-Stokes code. And then the story goes over and over. So then first thing, what is your target group? And then and whether they are researchers, um, whether they are, maybe your target group are developers of the finite element code like you. Yeah, if they are research, so for example, uh, let me give example, then um, you have a, a Phoenix, um, this, this great finite element code, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which has this language, uh, which allow you to write in nice, concise way, a uh, weak form of the, of the, This, this target, your target group are people which knows the mathematics, know how to construct the weak form. They are not necessarily interested how you implement the integration schemes on the element or how to construct the approximation space. They want to formulate the, 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 the they know how to formulate the element. They know how to find the, the, the weak form for your particular finite element formulation. And then they, they know how in the mathematical way define the boundary conditions. Too. So this is the, the kind of the researchers. And then you, you can have a um, um, researcher, which for example, is interested in the diffusion of the drug in, um, uh, through, from the stem in, in your vein or whatever. So he has some, he knows that he wants to solve some diffusion equation or she. Um, has a species and so on, so can write those weeks. So, and he knows mathematics because he attended the university. And then, that, uh, 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 when you study the engineering, you have definitely some cars about the finite elements. And then, so he deploy for that problem, Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you have a, yeah, and but 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 he's not really interested in the implementation of the finite element, yeah, mm -hmm. integration, but. Another example, you have a different kind of the person. You want to do, um, um, uh, he's interested in the making his, his more um, uh, uh, something which sitting on the fence. He's a little bit mathematician and he's interested in the developing the numerical techniques, numerical methods. Mm -hmm. Mess with the inter, impl uh, um, implementation a little bit. Mess with the block solver, how they work and so on how to have a scalability. So he will, or she will not choose the, 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 the Phoenix. It will rather go to the, towards the deal tool or MFM code, yeah? So, so different people do, or another example, just to, to give you, yeah? um, you, you are civil engineer. You are interested in modeling materials, quasi brittle materials concrete, reinforced concrete, and so on. So you're not, you, you, you don't really interested in the structure of the finite element, but you are interested what happens at the integration points with the material. So then 
you will go to go to like OFM, all of them, objects oriented finance in, in developing Prague. Yeah. So then you will choose the different code. So and then and then but you can see already I, I named three codes, but there are many, many more great codes. Uh, and, uh, so then before you will start to even develop the code, you have to ask yourself a question. Is your code really needed? Because if it's if someone else is doing what you want to do, join their group, become a collaborator or even core developer and help the community of that code itself. Yeah? So, um, and then you will, yeah, this is the, the, the right way, I think. Yeah, that's also very, very insightful, Lucas. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, what I would ask, because of you mentioned this uh, right now, because of joining other groups or developing other FEA codes, so would you advise people to develop their own code? Because we have had some questions coming in. Would you advise people doing software development for FEA? But what you are saying is actually join existing projects, maybe open source projects, and help them build their tool, right? Uh, uh, yes, because this is when you will make uh, impact. Because why you when you are really young um, and then you finish in university what why 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 people start to develop the code and because they want to learn they thinking that by developing the code by themselves they learn something but they learning something in the hard way this is not necessarily the most efficient way mm -hmm. because you have to learn all those things how to develop the efficient code by yourself and to, and probably when you will do that, you will make thousands of different mistakes and maybe you will create bad habits, which will be uh, difficult to, to remove later on. Mm -hmm. so when you will, you, when you're thinking about the developing a uh, code because you are starting and then you're thinking uh, that this is the way, I would say, no, this is not a good idea join a bigger group because they will, you will learn from them much quicker, better um, way, ways of doing that. But if you are, but there is another thing. It's a hard thing. To be honest, it's a very competitive place. It's a plenty of the finite elements codes. As we said, now it's plenty of textbooks. The writing any finite element code which just works is not hard. Um, extremely hard thing. Many thousands and thousands of people can can do that. Yeah. So you can but it's a big effort from the other hand doing that. It's not the thing which you can do in the short time. So if you invest something in the developing the, the finite element code, what will be a real use for it? If the your work, hard work, pays off. And to Finite element code yield something. I think that you need a decade of development, to be honest, because um, if I look at the, this really successful code, yeah, like Codaster, open source, mm -hmm. great code, if they are developed for 30, maybe 35, close to 40, FIP, yeah, they. And then a very old code. Deal is not young as well. Yeah. So uh, and then be, and then typically behind those those great finite element codes like like um, Codaster or big developments like standing 
some big institution behind or some big industry like nuclear industry because they really need a finite element code. And this is always development of the finite element code is a long-term investment. Unless you're writing something small. As we said, this small program for bi biologists doing indentation, which code is designed to do one thing only very well and nothing more. Or cell force um, uh, 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 um, calculation or something like that. So then write that this small program, which is wrapped and then it, it can live there in this small niche, which is only for that that tiny thing, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about Morphem, your own personal project you're working on. How did you come up with the idea and can you give us like a background story why you even decided to work on Morphem? So, about 10 years ago, we, we, we have a visit from um, uh, EDF, which were working with my colleague and my colleague working um, um, rigid body dynamics, so, uh, working on the rigid body dynamics software, which allow, um, uh, enable, uh, calculate the, 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 the response of the whole reactor subjected to the earthquake. Mm -hmm. I, in Great Britain, you don't have uh, many earthquakes, they are not strong, but anyway, you have to take that possibility when you design, uh, 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 design or look at the, the reactor. And then when they visit, visited us, they, they mentioned that they have had this problem with the, um, how to calculate the crack propagating in the graphite, brittle, very brittle material. And there is a problem because they, the codes which they know, they cannot do that. And they, they so they, they, there was a real need from, uh, from them you know, to make up they have experiments, they seen something, and then they, but, but they, there is nothing which can predict uh, what they see. And then there is another problem. This is the, when you're working with the, um, with, with something which is related to the, the nuclear industry, not, not, not everything can, you can test easily because you, not everything you can pay, uh, uh, place in the lab and test because the material is, uh, so then, the simulation is a key thing. And then we have this, this um, idea, which uh, I read a um, few weeks back about me, uh, configurational mechanics and crack propagation with the configurational mechanics. So we said to them that we can do that. Very interesting. They give us, uh, they give us a short grant and then uh, we start to work on it. But at some point, but the, the initial idea is like that. So we develop for them a formulation, this method. We will show on, with our implementation with the research code that is working, but then the real industrial problem will be implemented somewhere else in the code aster and the code aster will run. But when we start to do, um, develop the approach more and more, we start to use the, the, the methods, approximation techniques and approaches, which were impossible or very hard to implement in the older FE codes when they with the older structure. Because FE finite element codes getting old. 
because when you design the structure of the code, how it makes, how you store the data, where you store the data, at the no, in, in 70s and 80s, you will think I, I, I have that data on the, at the node, yeah, only. So you're creating the structure in such a way, so then, so then everything what you, what you have to develop with the given code, it has to fit to that structure. But now when you propose the technique, I will have, let's have a hierarchical approximation base, when I have a degrees of freedom on edges, on the volumes, on faces, and so on, this old structure is not fitting what you want to do. And this is the another development in the finite elements method. The new approaches to approximate the things are triggered for new uh, finite element codes, like IGA approximations or hierarchical approximation, fast integration with bursting brace, whatever. So this is the another reason because then you find out that okay, this is the, the the mathematicians or some people in the paper show us that you can have this great speed or you can do these great things, but the old code is not suitable for to that because it has a structure which don't predict that people will like to do that. Yeah, like example of decrease of freedom on nodes and on the volumes. Mm -hmm. Would you say in general that when we compare like academic codes, like research codes and uh, commercial codes, do you think there's kind of a pushback or maybe even a barrier for industries to use open source codes? And I, I think this is the, this is our niche which we um, uh, uh, find out with Mofem. Yeah? Because we, I, I, I have seen, I, when I write my PhD, I, I use GetFem++ very nice French C++ code. I used a little bit FIP. I used at Dolphin at some point. This is the, 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 the on, on top of the at Dolphin was sitting a Phoenix. And then, but, but I, I noticed that there is a, when you have these industrial problems, civil engineering problems, the, the problem is that the, the complexity of the, the object which you saw, these multiple types of the boundary conditions, um, springs, um, uh, different loads, and so on. So you have to zoom of the handling the so the, the, the handling of the boundary conditions, this heterogeneity of the different materials. You need some some harvester like Abacus or Ansys, which do exactly that well. But research codes like they they are. This is PDE. I solving this PDE. So then, in the PDE, you don't mixing the the, the the volume elements with shell elements, and then you have a sudden you know, you, you don't have that thing. Yeah. So to solve the re problems with uh, problems which uh, uh, struggle industry are in, 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 for industry is like it's it's this. Is this transfer from the research code to the industrial code is a real problem. Yeah. So in, in the research code, you do a proof of concept. And in the so but at the end it has to you have to implement some UMAT model or whatever and then plug it into the abacus. So then this is this is was my idea that I want to ha have a, a FE code which using the cutting edge approximation techniques, but in the same time, I can handle the zoo of the different boundary conditions. I can make a model of the building, 
and then shake it to simulate the earthquake with everything in it. And even I have a, one student from uh, Nepal, and there was a few years back, um, uh, earthquake in Nepal, and we modeled the whole two buildings, and then we simulate how they bounce from each other because the most of the buildings were were uh, uh, damaged because the, not because the earthquake itself, because the the, the the space between the buildings were too too small and they start to hit each other. So then, then that uh, I want to go into that direction. That that my my code in one single problem can handle a zoo of the different PDEs, which sitting on the different elements with the different dimensions, and there is no restriction on the, on the mesh itself, so that we can mix, mix um, um, types of the elements. And yeah, so this this was the idea. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, Very cool. Um, anything else you would like to add, Lucas, to that? Or no, I. I no, at that point, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, about the crack propagation for power plant applications, is there like, I would be very interested because I've never done it. I, I mean, you mentioned it when you have an FEA course, you mentioned that something like XFAM, like extended finite element method and things like that. When you develop something for crack propagation, there's, I would assume, and we discussed it before the podcast, there's a lot of heuristics in it. Um, how do you develop so something like this in the first place? Like, where do you even start for, for, for crack propagation? Okay. So... So finite element method and generally approximation methods struggle with them. Um, you can always they struggle with one thing always. They 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 can do well when you have a deformation, large, small, or even some extreme like you have in fluids that they even forget the deformation. They have a big problem when the topology is evolving. And when something is growing or something getting the contact, so two material points were not in contact and suddenly they are, this is where the and, and extreme uh, topology evolution is a crack propagation because the um, D minus one object surface in volume is propagating inside. So the, the biggest problem is with the resolution of the discontinuity. And this bigger problem is with the resolution of the discontinuity, how to treat evolution of this discontinuity in the smooth way. Mm -hmm. yeah? So then, because you want to, so then when you deal with the differential equations, so you, you want to differentiate over the evolution of the topology. But when you have the techniques like, like um, XFEM or when you introduced so you cannot do that. You, introduce, you enrich the approximation space, but this is a discrete event of enrichment. Yeah. So, so we try to first um, solve in our case. We want to have a way how we can propagate the crack, and then we can we can differentiate. So we can we can calculate change of the system energy due to the movement of the crack from. But the another thing is a physics, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in the fracture mechanics, you can have uh, you have a linear fracture mechanics, and then you have a nonlinear fracture mechanics when another phenomena kicks in. But in in case of the ideally brittle materials, you have you have really simple physics. Mm -hmm. So physics, in the case of the of the problem which I solving this basic problem, when you will talk about the fracture in homogeneous material that there is no bifurcation of splitting. It's, it's simple, yeah? 
crack is propagating in such a way that it wants to release maximally energy. Yeah? So this is maximal dissipation in energy principle. So when you have a certain class of the material, ideally brittle materials, that's that's work great. Yeah, you can it's amazing. You can reproduce with the simple one thing only. So maximize release but there is this maximal release of energy gives you idea where the crack should go. Yeah, so it's it's controlled direction. But you need uh, something when you will write all the equations. You will find that you have to have you have to conserve the energy. You to the conservation of energy. You add this maximal release of energy principle, and then you have to have something when the crack is propagating. And in our case, we're using a 100 years old theory, Griffith theory, mm -hmm. to do that. When the, the, the when when the the energy uh, Griffith energy reach certain threshold, crack is moving, and then and so then from the physical point of view, I doing nothing special. So formulation of the problem is nothing special. Of course, he's using this slightly novel framework of the configurational mechanics from El Shebi, but it's the 50s and 60s of the previous century. Then it was applied into finite elements by people like Paul Steinman, like uh, Mie. And then what we have done, we, we deploy on that problem uh, fancy approximation techniques, and we 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 was able to propagate the crack in the continuous way that, that we really uh, move, move the displacement. So the, we're calculating displacement of the crack front um, as a, in monolithic way with the, with the physical apparent displacement. And this was uh, giving us edge. That's mm. why we can make our predictions. And the, the cool thing is that, that those predictions works because the, the they are verified. There are some predictions, I don't. I probably cannot say about them, that we make a predictions what will happen in the near future and it happened. Yeah? So this is the, you know that, uh, that something works when you make a real predictions about the future. Yeah? You don't reproduce the benchmark test experiment. You're predicting the future, truly a future. Mm, that's super interesting. Um, maybe uh, an amateur question, like when the crack propagates, how does the crack know where to propagate and do you have to have some special element formulation in order to capture this? Like, does it have to be a finer mesh around the crack or how do you personally do this in MoFam? So, so first thing is that what's, what is the equation which you can write on the piece of the paper mm -hmm. which tells you how the crack will propagate. And there is a many stories, many papers about that. Someone is looking at the maximal hoop stress. Someone is looking at the, the maximal principal stress and the crack is going at a certain distance from many different ways. Mm -hmm. What we do, we're calculating implicitly, we're using this maximal dissipation of energy. So we're asking ourselves, if a system which is under the stress, and then the, you ask yourself question, in which direction crack has to go to maximally release the energy? Yeah, so then 
so the system, so when the crack, it will go by certain distance or extend its, itself by the certain area, in, in some direction, it will release more energy than in other. Mm-hmm. So this is this maximal dissipation, maximal release. Because you, you're changing the energy, the elastic energy, stored into the, in, in the deformation of your body into the another kind of the energy. You transform the energy from the, the deformation into the surface energy. So you're creating the crack area. So this is the, so the maximal dissipation of energy decide about where to go. And then, of course, so then at that point, as you point out, that the, the key thing is the resolution of the stress state and strain state and the uh, resolution of the quality of the, the resolution of the energy near the crack tip, crack front in, in 3D. And then, so then you, you, can, you can do many things. One thing is just to use this enrichment, which has built, so when you work with the linear fracture mechanics, in that case, linear means harder than non-linear. When you work with the linear fracture mechanics, you have a singularity at the crack front. So then, but the finite elements, when you use the polynomial approximation base, they cannot resolve the singularity. So, um, so only way how you can capture the stresses better and better to make elements denser and denser and denser and denser near the crack tip, but you will never reach the singularity at the at the crack tip. Mm-hmm. So the only way is that extend the, the approximation space by by enriching it by the functions which has a singularity in them. And this is what the XFEM is, is doing. But there is another older technique than that. It's called quarter point element. So when you add the mid node on the hex or 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 tetrahedron mesh, and you move the mid node, so then you have a node at the crack front, and then you have from that node you have emanating edges, and then if you have a mid node on the edge, and then you shift it by the quarter point. You, you will generate the Jacobian, which has a built-in uh, right type of the singularity. Mm. So you have, you're generating singularity like, you can imagine that you have a, how black hole appearing. Black hole is appearing by wrapping a space in such a way that it's singular. So exactly this is happens in the quarter point element. You're wrapping the, this reference space of the finite element to generate the right type of the singularity and the character. And this is what we are doing. Um, and then, and on top of that, we, we enriching, um, approxi- but once we generate the singularity, we can increase the approximation space. So we locally build a bubble of the high order polynomials. So we can have a six order polynomial just in the vicinity of the cracktic fifth, fourth, third, and second, and one polynomial when you are far away. So we, we zoom this hierarchical approximation basis at that point. Yeah. This is what we do at the crack tip. But just to separate that this is one thing is a, a resolution of the stress field near the crack front. Another is a model, mathematical or physical model, first physical and then mathematical model, which decides where to go. And there is another thing is criterion where the crack should uh, should propagate, yeah? because not always it should propagate. Mm-hmm. 
that was very very insightful thank you so much Luca, for the clear explanation also gives us like a physical interpretation of how to uh, deal with cracks um a lot of people asked us uh, before the podcast how they would delve into the finite element method let's say they started their complete beginners and you as an expert what path would you tell them to go let's say they're interested in the finite element method with where should they start should they maybe even tackle their own project or how would you advise them where, where should they go to They, I, I will so take uh, they search for different textbooks. You can you can even now download the samples um, uh, from the internet that uh, um, check which textbook about the finite elements talks to you the best because it's depending what on your, on your mathematical background, mm -hmm. where you studied, what you studied, and so on. And then first thing to be honest, I will open uh, Python. Julia or some MATLAB, whatever you know, and try to implement the simple trust. And some just solve something to work, and then maybe something with the constant a thermal problem, yeah, something with Poisson problem, something very simple. But once you get the basic idea, then try to join the The, the bigger group and then learn from them. And then it's cool because then when you will join the bigger group, they will try to guide you because then you ask them and they will, they will, they will give you a books which they, they know they will share your material. They will help you somehow. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very, very insightful. Thank you so much, Lukas. Uh, regarding MoFam, where do you see it going maybe in five to 10 years? What's your expectation on a wish for the future? So, Biggest hope of the every person who developed uh, uh, any code, not finite them, is to get the exponential growth. Yeah. So, then, but the, the, with the exponential growth is this, this this one problem that when you look back, you see a plain line almost. But the exponential growth is, is in the another in the future which you don't see. But this is when you will see we will, we will be able to see into the future. You should see a steep line. So this is. A, Development of the finite element code is not issue. The issue now is a building a community mm -hmm. that you have a followers who share your idea about the development of code. It's it's finite element. It's not a code. It's it's at the end. It's a system. When you share the culture, the certain ways how you think, think how you solve the problems, how you name the things. This is whole culture. So you're creating the culture and then, but in order that culture to happen, uh, first uh, uh, thing, it, it has to be certain idea. It has to be certain way how you're doing uh, those things and others has to follow it and embrace it uh, as their way of doing things. And then, so the, from very beginning, the, 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 the prime, importance in, in in such development is that the people understand your code because it's clear it's a clear has a clear structure so then and then there is documentations there is examples and so on this is the um, when i want to and to be honest i need uh, i need to another great idea so the starting of the muffin was this great idea to apply MOFEM to model uh, crack propagation in advanced gas cool reactors. But advanced gas cool reactors will leave 
on the world for the next 10 years. And there will be no uh, no longer reactors and that. So I need another great idea, another application. And we we start to, to build uh, that idea. We're looking at them uh, called forming. We 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 we're looking at, at the different problems like contact of the rust surface. So now this is the this we, we enter the era of searching of the different application and then I have a great colleagues which work with me, uh, 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 five, six postdocs, and then they doing that. They they start to apply the muffin to solve their problems, and they they start to be a true followers, and then yeah, and then they they get the idea and they propagate and so on. So then so muffin it's it's hopefully at some point in five years it will be not. Me, it will be a community. It will be something bigger than I will be a addition to something greater. Mm -hmm. I definitely wish you all the best, Lukas, and I hope uh, to see Mofem growing. And maybe we can do a, a short, uh, maybe a demo on my channel in the future to see actually how the Mofem code works. Um, and you are invited to to show that my followership uh, who want to delve into FAA how Mofem actually works, and then they oh, can yeah. play around with it and be part of a bigger community. So. Now we have a me a questions coming in from our audience from LinkedIn or Instagram. And the first question is from Stephen McEnty, who asks, programming FEM. Older codes are usually in Fortran and newer codes are often in C++, like MoFam. Would Lukash always recommend C++, or does he think there is still a role for modern Fortran? What about newer programming languages like Julia? I think this is the... Uh, I cannot give a crisp answer. We're using C++ because it's, it gives us a greatest flexibility. But when you're using a C++, you can restrict yourself. Mm. Using C++ in in appropriate in appropriate way, it, it become extremely messy. So you have using C++, you have to be restrained, and then you have to keep this this culture aspect is very important. Fortran is traditionally used as a FIP is example of it. And then the Fortran has, um, when I was using it, I'm not using it anymore. It has, a, it has, you have much less flexibility. So the probability that you will make a mess with it is, is much smaller than in C++. But, but in C++, the most important thing you, is that you have a full power on the how you manage the memory, how you allocate it. You can have the different of the different containers. This the, the strengths of the C coming from the, the ability to manage memory. So the the, the, the Fortran gives you some management of the memory to think how the, the things are space in the memory. But when you go to the languages like Julia, you are completely deprived from such things. Mm -hmm. you, you, the code is, is, is managing memory from you. And there is no, no depending what you want to do. I think that, that, that if you want to develop the, the finite elements in its core, that develop the 
new approximation technique or new finite element formulation to a data-driven finite elements, which is topical now. You have to go into the low level, those languages like Fortran and C++. And then, in fact, I will choose Fortran because I think you have a more freedom in it than in... I will choose C++ because you have a, more, a little bit more freedom than in Fortran. And it's a, fast, it's, it's a language that developed faster. It has a bigger community that there is a lot of smart people that you can find the easier resources than in Fortran. Community as well is important. When you choose the language, it, when it has a large community, it means that when you struggle, you have someone to ask. And the C++ has a big community. So you have a plenty of people to ask and you have a solution for everything. Fortran yeah? mm -hmm. has, a, but not as big like C++. Yeah? Julia has a big community as well, but I say that I will not choose the, the Julia because I, I, I work in this, I developed the code, I, I, I want to work on this low level of the finite element. So the Julia is not necessary for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it, excellent. Another question from Stephen. Research codes often demonstrate advanced features that you'd think would have valuable commercial use cases, but it seems to rarely happen. Does Lukas have any interest in this or advice on commercializing research? What would you say? I'm, so th this is uh, exactly the point which I tried to make a few minutes back, yeah. that this is why we, we developed the Muffin. We want to give away of the researchers developing finite element code to have a path for application in the industry. And um, we, can, we can work as an example that we've we done it with the nuclear industry, so it's doable. Mm -hmm. It's hard, but it's doable. The, the exact, and this is the exactly why we try to develop nothing. Yeah. And I think you made it very clear during the podcast, Lukas. Last question from Stephen before we move to the next questions. Does Lukas think that there should be more awareness of FEA? A lot of developers know about machine learning or computer vision programming, but never heard of FEA. What's your take on this? I'm sorry for a play. Uh, it's fast, so it will go uh, very quickly. So, I... Uh, when you look at the, so you, you, you have even position at this in, in industry, which is called stress analysis. I think that, that, that when you talk with the older engineers, I talk, uh, I'm thinking about 50, 60 years old people, they have uh, this doubt. Yeah, but really, if it's make up predictions, I can make a better predict, I can predict how the, uh, I can calculate the retention wall on piece of the paper faster than than finite element code, and I will trust it more because it's not because the finite element is a black magic for me. But over the time, I when you talk with the younger people, so my age and younger, so everybody has the finite. When you study the engineering, you have a finite element. Um, um, uh, cars uh, at your union. Probably. So that's getting better. But what I think is still a big problem is this ability to interpret the results, to check. So there is no this, this culture of then when you run the code, refine the mesh, 
and run it again and check if your result is changing. I am not sure in, if in every industry um, um, where the finite elements is used, this, 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 is, this is checked, really people have a, really checking if the, 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 their solution is correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I've seen it in the industry that some people don't, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> So um, yeah, but uh, solid mechanics is slightly better. I um, once speaking with the um, person with uh, from the car industry, which uh, was running a simulation for the uh, wind tunnel. Said the, the the great thing for me. So when we run the mesh with this size, we get the great comparison with the wind tunnel results, but when we make it smaller, everything is getting worse. So this is the, the, the thing that, that like you have the, um, this is what we not do. When you refine the mesh, your solution should get better, not worse, yeah? Um, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, we have some generic questions uh, that came in before the podcast. For example, one would be, um, well, we have best learn to learn FEA. We covered that already, Lukas. And the generic question was Abacus or Ansys? What would you choose if you had to choose between those two? Um, can I refuse to answer to that <laughs> okay. question? Oh, no. You can refuse. I, 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 I don't care, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe um, you can say just more fun. Yeah, more yeah, I, I use one answers yeah, uh, some time ago just to verify my results. But um, uh, people which I work, uh, so we using at, the, at Glasgow Abacus probably because we have a license. Depending what license you have, that is a choice. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, do you have any idea the links between AI, so artificial intelligence, and FEA? Where do you see that going? Do you see it with a smile? And going to the future, like physics and form neural networks, for example, how do you personally see it? It's a funny story because when I start my PhD, I supposed to do uh, neural networks with the finite elements. But I went to the conference and I have seen um, Mark Herz giving a presentation about the computational homogenization. And I said to my supervisor, I don't want to do neural networks anymore. I want to do that. And we, we make a promise that um, I will have a, a PhD about the computational homogenization, but last chapter will be about the finite element methods uh, with the neural networks. And um, we use the neural networks, uh, I think that is the best for, uh, for that thing. We use it to solve the inverse problem. So we ask ourselves a question that we have this great model, uh, for indentation of the heterogeneous material. And uh, we have a result from the indenter. And then the, what is the property of the inclusion in that material? So there is inverse problem, yeah? You have, you have experiment, you have indentation, you measure the force and you're asking about the property. And the neural networks are great because what you can do, you have input and output and then you can swap the output with the input and then you get the answer. But there is uh, only one catch with it, that neural networks are extremely easy to use. And nowadays, even more, you have those great tools. But really, if you want to understand how they work, this mathematical theory behind them, that uh, it's pretty hard. So if you want to 
go deep into neural networks, learn statistics. Yeah? You have to be a good statistician to use the neural networks in the proper way. All, uh, if you don't do that, you will, do, uh, you will use them as a black box. But of course, they have uh, lots of applications, even in the engineering. Mm -hmm. But I will not use them everywhere. So there are some problems, uh, forward problems, where then I will use the finite element because the finite element provides me a posteriori and a priori error estimators. And neural networks, oh, that's hard because the prediction depends on the data set. Nightmare. I see what you mean, yeah, yeah. Um, before I come to, to the closing remarks or the conclusion, last generic question we have coming in was, why is FEM so hard? <laughs> I think, I, I think okay, maybe I'm I doing it for lo too long. I think that there are, in fact, I will answer, no, I'm getting older, and then uh, I would say that everything where I look, it starts to look hard for me. Everything is extremely complicated. And even if you look deeper and deeper into it, it's getting more and more harder. You think that there are layers of the complexities on top, on, on bottom, and then always is something. Uh, so when, when FEM starts to look hard for you, that's a good sign. It means that you start to understand it. If you learn it more, you will find out immediately what, what, uh, that you learn this thing, which is hard for you at the moment. At the bottom is harder thing even than that. And then you will go down and down and that will never uh, stop. Mm -hmm. And I think a common misconception is, I think there's this common um, theory of when you learn something and, it, and you struggle a bit, that a lot of people make the conclusion, I struggle, therefore I must be dumb. And I think that's not the right approach, right? In fact, in each, each time you learn, your so because when you learn, your horizon getting bigger. So you see uh, more into the space. So the world starts to be uh, bigger. And then each time it, you learn something, your world gets bigger and then everything getting more complex. Because the world is complex. Uh, I think there is nothing simple in it. Yeah. Very beautiful answer and very philosophical. Last question I have from my side. We talked on Twitter. I saw that you uh, tweeted about meshless techniques. Where do you see them going? Do you think they are useful or are they too slow? What's your personal take on meshless techniques? We use, I, I'm using a meshless method uh, um, uh, on a regular basis. And then we're using it, um, I can tell you, I, we have a solution which is coming from the codaster. It has some stresses which come from the radiation complex thing. It doesn't matter. And then we have to project this solution from one mesh into another mesh. So then, but the project, and then this another mesh is constantly changing, evolving in time. So what we're doing for that, we're using meshless methods. So then let's forget about this mesh on the top and then use the meshless method. And then we're using moving least squares approximation for that, which is a great thing gives a, a smooth field that we can um, uh, we can exploit the fact that we can ha have access to the first and second derivative, which is hard thing with the finite elements. That is great. But the biggest bottleneck of it is that it's slow. So the 80% of the total time is about <laughs> building this approximation space for MW, a moving, a meshless method. It's a, and then 
what is and then there is a question if the if that method is truly meshless so what are you using for integration do you have a mesh to, to integrate the things and then of and there is this also of the um, uh, uh, methods sometimes if some people say that you have for free um, um higher order regularity higher order regularity but do you really need that so for example when you deal with the heterogeneous materials when you want to have a stress jumps between the different uh, materials so then so measureless methods give you something very often which you don't really need and then another thing uh, with the meshless method is that the, the trick with them is on the boundary but if for engineering problems when you want to model an engine running engine or brick or building boundary conditions is everything for you so this is what you want to do really well so the finite elements gives you our property you have full control over the boundary conditions mm -hmm. and meshless methods are always a fuzzy about that but if you want to do sph for example how to, to simulate how the galactic collapse or you are astronomer oh don't use the finite element probably you will use sph yeah so the different thing so then so i think that uh, in engineering meshless methods will never dominate the field but there will be some niche applications there where they will there is a place for them mm -hmm. yeah? Got it. So one last question. I'm sorry I said that this was the last question, but I have a, a last one because you mentioned boundary. Do you think things like, or methods like the boundary element method, uh, there's a very old tool I think called BZ. Do you think this is, has, has a future or do you think boundary element methods also like a niche application for specific things? So I, I think they have. So then if you have a large space, which is homogeneous, you know, for example, acoustic problem, electromagnetic problem, ante antenna, Boundary methods has applications. So for a long time, when you have a contact with the rough surface, so the surface, so, so no one can beat the boundary element method. This is the, because it's impossible to calculate the problem. So rough surface that you have a surface which almost fractal resolution of the different roughnesses, and then you want to, to have a contact with that and you want to have a contact uh, so the boundary element method was the best what we had the problem with the boundary element method is that extending it to the to capture the nonlinearities like geometrical nonlinearities is you you kill the method is 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 impractical is because uh, you can apply the, the uh, boundary element method when you can have a fundamental solution and you can get the fundamental solution when you have a linear problem. And it's, it's, there are some extensions to the plasticity. I work um, um, a little bit on the trefts method, which is sitting some, somewhere in between the boundary element method and the finite element method. It's, it's taking this idea because boundary element method, the key idea in it is that you integrate over on the boundary. So you have a 3D problem, but you integrate over the surface. Yeah? And you have a degrees of freedom only on the surface. Big difference. When something is bulky, you can imagine how much degrees of freedom you say. 
matrix which you're getting is dense, but it's not a problem because it's small. But Treff's method was sitting on the fence that um, uh, you have you, you integrate on the boundary of the finite element, but not on the volume of the finite element. So we can yield certain things. But the problem with the boundary element method is application for a very small amount of the problems. You cannot generalize that to large strains uh, problem, large strain elastoplastic problem. That is impossible thing for boundary element. But contact when the or problem when the, the response physics inside of the volume is linear, but you have non-linearity on the boundary only, for example, contact, perfect. Acoustics, electromagnetics, that's uh, probably a good use for the boundary element. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a very, very interesting conversation, Lukash. I really much appreciate your time. And as a closing remark, maybe, um, what advice would you give people, maybe last advice from an expert and how to join the MoFem community? What would you tell them? Write to Q&A, contact us, and we'll uh, uh, pull you into the loop. Yeah, and then tell us what you want to do and we'll try to help you. And you are very welcome. Awesome. Um, so very interesting podcast, as I already said, and like a famous quote, which said like, the more I know, the more I know that I, what I don't know. So I learned a lot from this podcast, especially when you think you understood the final element method. And as you said, uh, you're making something wrong. So thank you for proving that, uh, Lukas, in this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to maybe showcase MoFem on my channel in the future. And I wish you all the best and great success. Thank you. Bye.